Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, where each week we bring you stories from dope black women across the globe. My name is Leanne Levers, and I'm one of the co-founders of Dope Black Women. And this week I'm speaking with three amazing Jamaican women who are quite literally scattered across the globe. London, Lagos and Washington DC. And I'm in Jamaica and we're going to discuss how we seek to maintain our Jamaican identity despite having lived outside of Jamaica. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dope Black Woman podcast. And I am super excited today to be joined by three amazing dope black women from quite literally all over the globe. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and probably give some little anecdotes about how we all met and connected. And yeah, I think it's just a really good episode because it is quite... um, it epitomizes what Dope Black Women is about, which is Black women from across the globe, across the diaspora, more specifically connecting and making strides and learning and celebrating each other. So thanks for joining me, guys, everyone. Thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves so they can do it appropriately. And actually, this is part of the discussion that we're having, which is about identity today. I think that seek to define us in certain ways, different countries, different spaces in our careers. And so I'm really interested to hear how everyone defines themselves. So I'm not going to put any parameters on it, but things like gender, race, profession, religion, which of those come out kind of organically to you when you identify yourself. So Nikeeba, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Hey, everyone. I am Nikeba Brown. Um, I am, I guess, a multi-hyphenate. I am a DJ. I'm a lawyer. I am doing, like, my focus is energy law. My passion, my life's passion is energy law. Renewable energies, I'm obsessed with garbage and turning it into energy and um, implementing that in poor countries. Yeah, so I've... uh, I don't know, like, what else? I guess I add that I I went to Howard. Yes, H-U, you know. That's a huge, 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 huge part of my identity. Someone once said that, oh, you went to Howard and you're Jamaican. You're, like, double insufferable. And they're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I went to law school in Florida. I've bounced around quite a bit. I'm currently in Lagos, Nigeria, just, like, hanging out for a month because I have the benefits of working from home. 
So yeah, I'm very excited. Amazing. Yeah, Nikeba is like the travel queen. So we met <laughs> a mutual friend. And I feel like since I've met you, you've been in Jamaica, New York, Lagos, Haiti. Haiti, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brazil. Brazil. So I, I'm really interested to hear how traveling, particularly traveling alone for the most part, right? As a solo kind of mm-hmm. traveler has has kind of forced you to come to terms with your own identity or how you identify yourself. And Dr. Shauna Knox. No, just say Shauna. <laughs> no, exactly. There are so few black doctor, black women doctors in this world that every time there is one on this podcast or anywhere else, we should shout it out loud. So okay. and I, I think that goes for women DJs, that goes for women doctors. I'll call you Shauna after this. Okay, yeah, the one shout outs. Okay, thank you, Dr. Liebers. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I get so nervous whenever I have to introduce myself because I'm like, what do I choose? But I guess that's the point of this conversation. Um, but I am Shauna Knox. Um, I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, but grew up in Kingston. Um, Ironically, my parents actually met in Silver Spring, even though they grew up in Jamaica um, and their mothers had met randomly years before they ever met. So I'm thinking in that butterfly effect way right now. But um, yeah, and I live now six minutes away from the house that they owned when they lived here before they moved back to Jamaica. And I had no idea about that before I bought this house. So it's it's. It's really weird and serendipitous, I guess, when I try to introduce myself. I feel like so many things are connected that I wasn't actively thinking about. Mm. Um, I'm a writer um, and I'm embracing that now um, because I just finished these doctoral studies and, and I'm ready to put that into practice. So I have two books um, that are coming out this year and next year successively. And I'm very excited about that. Thank you. Amazing. That's amazing. It's a miracle. Um, (laughs) And outside of that, um, I work, um, I guess I'm, I do black stuff for for work as well. So I work for, yeah, a black philanthropy and I'm their chief of strategy. So I'm thinking about how to make black people, um, give Black people the dignity of humanity everywhere they are and holding people to account for that. And I'm so happy to be here. That's amazing. Thank you for joining us today. And I met Shauna through Nikebo. Nikebo connected all three of us on the call and was just like, you guys are all amazing people and I think you need to meet. So that Mm -hmm. is kudos to Nikebo for making this happen as well. And our last guest is a very familiar face to the Dope Black Women group uh Jaleen Robinson who will introduce herself but you guys anyone who would have been on uh any of our yoga sessions would have been led by Jaleen um she's been on the podcast before and uh yeah let her introduce herself again hello everybody I'm Jaleen Robinson you know the funny (laughs) thing is I knew we were going to be talking about identity and I did not think about this. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So today I'm going to say I'm Jaleen Robinson and me is a good as. 
That's what I am. Yas, queen. Yas. Um, and along with that, I am my father's child. I am my mother's baby. I am a friend, a lover. I'm all those things. And I am an actor now. I'm a performance artist. I am a chemist. And all those identities walk with me every day. And just to highlight that Jeline is an actress of the highest order because she is about to star in the West End in the new upcoming Bob Marley musical as Bob's mother. So congrats, Jeline. Thank you. It's very exciting. (laughs) Very, very exciting. And it's interesting because so the audience knows who I am already, but for the sake of having this conversation, it's really interesting because I think Nikeba led with her multiple professions. Um, Jillian gave a very personal, intimate kind of individual response as to who she is in terms of her personality and character. And then Shauna gave an, her identity, which was led by or rooted in her connections with her inner circle, her people, her community. And similarly to Nikebo, I probably would have led with my career. I probably would have said, I would have said I'm a black woman, but I think that's a, a given, given the podcast that we're on. But also I would have said, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a researcher. This is what I look at. And then I would have followed with all of the other things around being Jamaican and having grown up in different spaces or lived in different spaces. And I'm wondering what is most important to you? How do you all define identity and how do you define yourself? Does that change? Does that shift? Did it change based on where you've been? Jules, you've moved from Jamaica to New York, back to Jamaica, to London. Nakiba, you've been in school in DC. You've been in school in New York. You've lived in Jamaica. You've traveled a lot. Shauna, similarly for you, you moved at a very formative stage in your life. So how do you think that that has affected identity? Um, I would say it's never the same. I think it's not just based on spaces. I think it's also based on circumstance. Uh, I remember after my grandmother died, I had a yearning. I was, I I yearned so much to like identify as Jamaican Mm -hmm. because by that time I had like been away from Jamaica so long. Um, and I think, and I've, I've had this constant struggle to get, get citizenship. I should be careful about incriminating myself. (laughs) um but i was never a jamaican citizen because of how informal everything was back in the 80s and 90s Mm. so you know again law enforcement this was my grandparents and not my doing i was a minor but you know you could enroll in school and i just basically existed without ever having like actually becoming a jamaican citizen Mm. and then you know i that's not something that i ever cared about and then i went off to college but i always had like the root of my grandmother back at home and i always had like my home so it was never a question, but then you leave for college and then you leave for law school and you come home a, a bit, like it becomes more infrequent when you're coming home. Mm. Um, and then people pass away, people move, people leave, relationships change. 
so now really the only route is like that home route and then that person is gone you know um so i remember after my grandmother died a big i, I really was like so the, the, the forefront of my identity had to be jamaica because it was kind of a connection to her and it felt like i was losing it i felt like the only like the only leeway i had into jamaica was my grandma and then but now i'm in a space where i live in let me not say that i do not live in kingston i am working from home in kingston in three month increments per the immigration laws and so having done that now that i exist in kingston on a long-term basis incrementally um i don't struggle with that anymore like i you know it's uh, those things where your accent gets deeper and I, every time i go back to new york per the legal the immigration laws you know every three months every time i go back to new york it's just like wow girl your accent got deeper and it's like yeah because i'm cussing out people in mega Mart every day every oh single day every day because you know <laughs> whenever i'm in jamaica i think for me it it does shift but it also stays the same um because i think i when i present myself in any space i'm presenting who i am mm. and clearly i'm black so i don't need to tell <laughs> you um and <clears throat> i'm inherently jamaican like i'm jamaican deep into my marrow so you know yeah and then and i think sometimes before now when i was growing up I would lead with the identity that will give me the privilege that I need to move mm. or to get into certain spaces. So um, when I was a chemist, I would lead with being a chemist. Or if I'm speaking to certain people, I would say, yes, I'm a chemist and I'm doing so and so. And I work at Red Stripe and I'm on this team and yada, yada, yada. And then when I'm in creative spaces where being a chemist doesn't necessarily have the heft that it needs at this moment then I you don't need to know that I was a chemist I, I won't mm -hmm. necessarily say um but for the this the sake of this space right here showing up as my most authentic self one of the things I'm challenging <laughs> I'm challenged with right now is to show up as myself without the things that I do without work mm -hmm. Like, who am I without being a chemist and an actor? And what if I unhinge the crooks of these things as my identity? Then, then who is Jeline then? And when I just moved here, I really struggled with that because in Jamaica, I am a chemist. And in Jamaica, I am an actor. And those things are things that you have to be doing and for a long time, I wasn't acting and I wasn't mm. doing chemistry. So then I'm like, then then who am I? What am I doing? Like, what do I lead with? The girls, them sugar. A joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting that you feel that you need to be acting in order to be an actress. Um, you know, but I do. I did feel that way. Like I felt like because yeah. in Jamaica, I'm acting every single day. Mm. for years I'm just even if I'm not like on stage I'm rehearsing or I'm helping other people or I'm doing all that it's it's so lived and then when I got here four years straight nothing mm. then can you call it when was the last time you acted Jolene oh 2016 cricket <laughs> like <laughs> like that just it mm -hmm. you know and it made me feel like I started to feel disappointed in myself because I wasn't mm. doing the 
that I had traveled so far and done so much to get here to do. And then I was like, but but I'm still a Buddha's. So then why am I feeling yeah. disappointed mm-hmm. in myself because I'm not doing, you know, the the thing that I claim is my life's purpose. And I'm just like, I don't want that to be the case anymore. And what if I can just be glorious? That's what I am. Why why because can't you I are. do that? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think now more than ever, I'm challenging myself to really just sit in in just the space of just being. Today I'm crappy and that's it. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. And it may not stay that way, but tomorrow I might just be fab, sexy, who knows. <laughs> you know, you had you made such a really good point because I think the things that we're more secure in and that are to us now unequivocal, we don't really feel the need to like prove it. You know what I mean? So I, I get, because I've, I've now, again, you know, have been legally residing in Jamaica in three-month increments, um, I don't really feel the need to kind of, like, assert that anymore because it's like, all right, nobody can really question it again. You know what I mean? Like, those when I was insecure those years away and then I didn't have my grandma anymore, then it's kind of like, yo, am I even still really Jamaican? But no. And then I also had a lot of insecurity about it. It was a really rough path to being a lawyer, guys. Like, it was a really, really, really rough path. A path that I don't even... Like, I'm still triggered and traumatized by it. So it took a very long time for me to be like, I'm a lawyer. I, I, up until probably this year, I was not saying, like, with my chest, I'm a lawyer. I will kind of whisper it because it... And my therapist also was really good in helping me. Like, girl, did you do those 90 credits? Okay, you're a lawyer. <laughs> you know? Um, but before, it was just like, yeah, I'm a lawyer. You know? But now, it's like... Okay, cool. We can just leave that alone. You know, it's not. I'm not pressed about it because I'm secure in it. When you say that the identity that I can say with my chest, like I like that identity because I feel like sometimes when you say, "Oh, I'm a chemist," you almost have to prove mm-hmm. that you are. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, are you a good chemist? Mm-hmm. But what have you done? And I'm like, can't I just be what I said I am? And I'm just mm-hmm. I, I can't deal sometimes with the the need to prove in certain spaces. I know you have to do it sometimes, but I can't. I don't want to do that as much as that the world asked me to do it. So, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting because as much as I lead with the idea of being a researcher, similar mm-hmm. to Shano, I don't like calling myself Dr. Levers, right? So when people ask me what I do, I'll say I'm a researcher, but I'll never say, oh, I just finished my doctorate in, or I just, you know, I'm, I ha- I'm a political scientist, which is essentially what I what my profession is my trajectory in terms of my career has been so much more impact-led and on the ground and rooted in things that people can't necessarily read about or and I, I and then I don't want to go into that lengthy you know CV of what I've done in life to seek the approval of or the the status of being a doctor it's in but it's still the way that I identify and that's still probably very much rooted in the fact that I'm Jamaican and as a Jamaican that's what we tend to focus on is what we do for a living rather than who we are Um, which is why Shauna's introduction was so interesting to me because she led with who she was in the context of her community and that seems to be forgive me if I'm wrong an extension of what you do academically as well right 
Yeah, I mean, as I'm thinking about this question, I'm thinking about it on two planes. I'm thinking about who I am internally and when I kind of situated myself in that identity and if that changes depending on where I am geographically and geopolitically. And then I'm also thinking about how I externalize that in the different spaces that I occupy. And I think that in my mid-20s, up to that point, I was really good at like inhabiting this liminal space of I can connect with what we have in common with whatever group I'm in. Mm. Um, And that was really something that was so important to me is just being able to navigate different spaces. Because even when I left, before I left Jamaica, I ended up um, going to the American International School. And I was like the only Jamaican there before I left. That's really different now. But I really embraced my ability to really deeply connect with people who had different experiences that were just altogether different without assimilating, but actually Mm. paying more attention to and being more attentive to what we had in common. And I brought that with me when I left for college to the United States and, you know, connected with different people here. Um, But I think around in my mid-20s, when I really got situated and anchored in my faith in like Christ, that changed for me. Um, And it wasn't that it it wasn't that I didn't connect in the same way with people, but it wasn't the central thing anymore internally in the way that Jaleen's like, I am my father's daughter. That's that became like my internal, like true north. Um, And that's the thing I feel most tangibly wherever I am. Externally, now we're getting into some stuff because I, I choose to, at work, identify as Dr. Knox, but outside of it, only just be Shauna because I think it's relevant to work and I don't think it's relevant outside. Um, And that has been the ride of a lifetime, truly. I mean, it's a thing. I had a conversation this week with people in my office who, who feel like, and I work in an all black organization, you wanting to be referred to as Dr. Knox changes the dynamic of our organization because we're not using titles here and you want us to use your title and it's changing the the atmosphere, it's changing the ethos of who we are. And we're having this discussion about whether or not I should choose to use my title. And really, it's, it's really been fascinating how much I think that other people don't think that that should be my choice. Um, like, it, mm. like it's like I owe it to them to be able to ascribe it to me if they feel like I can have it or strip it from me if they don't feel like they want to they want to acknowledge that that's something that I've earned in a professional context. Um, and it's and actually because of that, I've become even more committed to. And that's why you can call me Dr. Nod. It's literally the only thing on the table. If that's not on the table, I'm literally not on the table. That's what's Mm -hmm. on the table. And I watched this clip earlier this year. This lady um, attended some virtual town hall. She was like challenging someone, a white man who is an older man who um, she was asking a question to. And she was like, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And And he just kept saying her first name. And she was like, no, I'd like to be referred to as Dr. So-and-so. And And he just said, well, your Zoom name says so-and-so. So so I'm going to say so-and-so. She was like, no. And I actually think that this doesn't speak well of you that I'm telling you how I want to be referred to and you're refusing to refer to me that way. And that person was removed from his position. 
And I find it fascinating that my organization advocates for workforce equity for Black people. That is the purpose of it. So that people could be in their workplaces and feel like this is something I earn. That's what you can call me. That's what we're advocating for externally. But internally, it is upsetting the dynamic that I should feel I can use my title. So I think those like externalized politics of how we think about who people can be around us, that is something that really captures me. And like in my second book um, that's coming up next year, it's called The Black Subaltern. I have a whole part on what I call um, subjective transmigration. It's just like inhabiting that in-between space subjectively as you move from place to place. So I'm really excited about this conversation and have so many thoughts, but I'll pause there. Well, I'm actually interested to hear what that is, like how you define that in general, because I think it's pertinent to the conversation, particularly as for women who have uh, migrated to different spaces, both Mm -hmm. physically but also operated in different professional spaces as well. So mm-hmm. for me, I have never, I've only ever been in spaces around white men who refuse to call me Dr. Levers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never experienced that in a, in, a, in a predominantly Black space. So this is interesting Girl, to me. Listen, and that's, listen, we can get deeper because that's where they come with the, um, I know you're not African-American, but, you know, I know you're Jamaican, so you may not understand, um, wow. but we don't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, but this is what you get. And that's what I am. So I don't know what we're talking about. That's um, not but true. That's, that, what's not true? No, like that irritates because like my mentor, her name is Dr. Carrie Ann Hamilton, right? So she yeah, works for Howard. And like African-American school and like mm-hmm. you, and she used to run comms for Howard. And there was never a time where after her PhD, she was ever referred to by anybody at Howard, like not as like Dr. Hamilton to the point where, because she, again, she was just carried to us before, like carry on before, like every, it was very, a very, very quick adaptation. And a part of me wonders what, what from that is coming from a level of insecurity. It's reminded me of the Real Housewives of Potomac, if I'm being honest, you know, with Dr. <laughs> Dr. Wendy, oh, who I don't even Wendy. like, yeah, who I'm not, I don't even like per se as a character. But, you know, just like, again, like at the end of the day, when she asserts she wants to be referred to as like, I'm not going to call somebody doctor first name. That's kind of weird. But mm-hmm. she wants to be referred to as Dr. Osefo. Then, yo, because it like, it who did they sit there through? Like, do you know how de- how mentally debilitating a PhD is? I don't I have a JD and I like, and like, I almost died. So you really literally, like, that's just so disrespectful. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm bothered by your experience at your job, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, I actually was in tears, actually, after the conversation. And it, I know that they have, I know that it will read as if, like, I'm exhibiting a type of fragility. But it's actually just that um, this mobilization of an ideology that it's white supremacy for me to use my title and be able mm. to be situated in it. And that in some way, I'm like exercising power over by actually just standing in my place and saying, no, I'm not going to move. But that that internalized like policing of me because it makes you uncomfortable. That was so bitterly disappointing for me to witness. That was just it was like a, a palpable bitterness like in my mouth. I was like, you're spitting me out. You you. It's so hard to tolerate 
this thing that I am, that you would want to change me rather than change yourself to be able to tolerate a black yeah. woman who has earned her doctorate and would like to be addressed appropriately in her title at work. Okay. Because there's something to be said for political overcorrectness, and that's what this sounds like. Well, that's exactly what this sounds like. I like we're all supposed to be living in harmony and the rainbows, mm -hmm. and what that means is some some people are going to have to invalidate parts of their identity and like that's not okay that's mm -hmm. completely and truly not okay say, it actually sounds like the definition of white fragility is forcing mm -hmm. people to shift who they are or to silence who they are in order to, to make, make you comfortable mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is ironic at, at the very least uh jules you were gonna say something oh no i was just um uh in the context of advocacy because that's mm -hmm. what the job is. Mm -hmm. Has anybody stopped to ask who has the right to identify a person? Me. Like, <laughs> if I came in here and I said, I want to be regarded as Dr. Princess Jeline Robinson. Right. I said, I want to be called that. <laughs> that's what you can do. What's the problem? <laughs> Especially in this time when we have gender identities and we have racial mm -hmm. identities and there's this constant conversation around the specificity of identities and i come and tell you say miss i want to be called so and so not and miss say oh no <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah i definitely feel like in these discussions about identity even as we are protecting some identities there are some identities that are still always not welcome to the table and a black woman who doesn't earn something let me tell you something that's we are the first to go we are the first <laughs> on the chopping block that we are policed so heavily and honestly let me say like i my mom is a doctor of dental surgery my dad is a doctor of engineering like it's completely unremarkable to me mm -hmm. that a human being in my family, in my skin, in my whole stratosphere of thinking about myself, it was completely unremarkable that I became Dr. Knox. I mean, my brother is Dr. Jerome. I mean, everyone has a doctorate. So when I say this wasn't a big deal, I mean, it really it shocked me how much of a big deal it was to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's what turned your girl on. Because I said, oh, I would have probably said, oh, no, you can just call me Shauna because it is what it is. I know what's on that piece of paper. But when I realized that it, it's so bitter in your mouth that it's, I can see it rolling around on your tongue and you can't bear to spit it out. You can't bear to call me Dr. Knox, whether you're black or white. I was like, oh, you guys have a problem and you will contend with it. It sounds like there's an even <laughs> more specific distinction between you being African, African American and you being Afro-Caribbean. Afro-Caribbean, absolutely. And, yeah. and what does that look like for you? Uh, we're getting very deep. I mean, subjective transmigration, to answer your question before, um, the idea of transmigration existed already. It's just the idea that you grew up in Jamaica. That's a sort of home. Mm -hmm. Then you move somewhere else, you make another kind of home. And in a way, you have more than one home. Like you identify home in more than one place. And I am toying around with this idea of that being 
what happens in your subjective or your psychic space when homemaking is actually between places and actively and ongoing, ongoingly happening. You're making home wherever you are, and it, it makes you more aware of what makes home home as, a, as opposed to just kind of arriving to a place and sensing like, oh, I am home. And I'm not even really sure about what here makes mm. us feel so much like home. It's like you subjectively are conscious of what homemaking is for yourself. And you're bringing aspects and facets of what is home to you to wherever you are. And so I think in this question about like, am I African-American? Am I African-Caribbean? Am I Afro-Caribbean-American? I have a million things to say about that. But there is on that continuum, the closer I get to the Afro-Caribbean part, the more remote I often feel from Mm. the African-American people who are in my life sometimes who I I think that we have a mutual understanding of each other. I think we celebrate and appreciate each other. But if if I may step outside of something that they may want for me to do or expect from me, then I'm suddenly very far along the continuum towards Afro-Caribbean-ness. And that's why I'm not with them in that moment because they consider like if we're ever not on the same page it's actually because you don't understand because you're you're afro-caribbean and really jamaicans are elitist and think they're better than everybody and don't want to be considered black and etc and 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 that's why you think it's appropriate to be called dr Knox because african-americans we don't do that whether or not that that's true nike but right. of course i I mean, I only know that that's not, but I'm saying that's how they, um, that's how I've experienced people weaponizing that division and that rhetoric. I have two thoughts on what you're saying. The first thought is, um, this is the thing about African Americans. They're Americans as well. And there mm-hmm. are certain dirty habits what, some, what, what America as a race has. <laughs> and again, this is a person who is like, you know, I'm domiciled in New York and I just, you know, stay in Jamaica for three months increments. Um, yeah, but the, we have some dirty style about we, and I have those style as well, especially, you know, I've, I've existed in Amer- as an American or in America for the better part of a decade, actually over a decade, Zine. And there is this like level of dominance and I encountered it when I was a freshman at Howard. There's a level of dominance and you need to understand where we are coming from or nothing. There's a level of bigotry that is related to being American as a whole. And unfortunately, it has not passed. It, 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 it hasn't like, it hasn't surpassed or it, African-Americanness has not gone beyond that. It's very unfortunate. And so there's again this perspective. And you see it on Twitter with the ADOS community and stuff like that. There's a level of aggressive bigotry. And I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Where it's just like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you are expressing something that is making me uncomfortable. So it needs to be my way. And because Americans are typically, or especially Americans of our generation, we have always known America to be the center of the world. And again, this is the the worst thing they could have done was send me to law school. Because I've always been a pretty logical person. But now, like, I'm trained I'm trained in, in the art of logic and reasoning. So, like, deductive, inductive, all of that. Like, if A, then B, like, them kind of way. They're like, the maths kind of <laughs> logic. So, it really and truly irks me 
when I see people pontificating and it's like, yo, shut up. That makes zero sense. And this is all your opinion and what you think. And it's bigotry. And you're doing it in such a way that you're using these little cute Twitter words like, oh, I'm triggered. Or, you know, like, that's gaslighting. Or just all these words that, like, are popular now. And then, so now you become the bigot. Because I disagree with you now, like, I'm the bigot. Which is insane because, like, you know, what you're exhibiting is literally textbook bigotry. I have a question for Leanne. Mm-hmm. So, Leanne, you said that when you come to the, when you came to the to London um, a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, it feels like home. And I'm wondering, have you ever claimed or felt the need to identify as Black British? No. And actually, that's what I was going to say in response to Shauna's initial comment is that this is the it's only upon leaving the UK and coming back that I felt that sense of familiarity, because while I was away or while I was in the UK and living there, I was adamant about identifying as a Jamaican born Jamaican. And that was always home. And I never identified anywhere else that I'd ever lived, regardless of whether it's Cayman Islands or New York or or the UK, as home until I left it. And then there was a, similar to what Shauna said, there was just literally a physical longing for the familiarity that I had experienced for the past 12 years. Both Shauna and Nikeba are referring to functions or manifests very differently in the UK, where you have an entire population of people who are British but don't identify as British mm. alone or they don't only identify as British they are British born Jamaicans or British born xenophobia <laughs> or <laughs> or British born Nigerians and even if those persons have never ever ever been to Jamaica or been to the, the continent there is a connection that they strive to have um, real or imagined that is (laughs) filling a gap (laughs) filling a gap that is missing within their own geographical space which is a sense of belonging and 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 something that unifies the group of people which obviously is a function of or a byproduct of colonialism and slavery and the fact that we and a diaspora does exist in and of itself but I can't lie to say that when I moved to England that I didn't feed into that narrative that at somehow because I was Jamaican and because I was born a Jamaican that I was different or how do we celebrate those differences without creating an elitist hierarchical structure of what is better than the other without just celebrating the fact that they're different and learn from yes. each other where we can but also acknowledging that those differences are really important when i said shouts to xenophobia i mean it so this is the thing about england and why it's a bit different right england is xenophobic as hell somebody once explained to me the difference between like being called english and being called british like you don't call a black person english because they're not yeah. like you are anglo-saxon and then you are acknowledged to be english and that speaks to me or, or that, that tells me is that there's a level of xenophobia like yo don't cross the line with me straight up so you see because of that i empathize or i feel for the people who are british immigrants black british immigrants zine but i still get annoyed me not tell no lie when i heard oh the bash you playing bashment because this is the thing there's a level of adaptation zine you see what you just said where you can learn from each other 
I have I have two sets of cousins. One some of them live Croydon and then my cousin will live like Bransbury Park, like up north, Zine. Mm-hmm. The thing I value about the cousin up north, Zine, I don't ever feel like she trying to be me or is a caricature of me. Right? She's a person in and of herself. She's a black British girl. And I learn so much from her. I get to learn so much from her versus you talking to the one them from Croydon, you big of yourself, Karine, no shade. But you're talking to like my, my South cousin them, them I try to talk like me. They, like there's just this trying too hard. Nice. And it, and then uh, yeah, wait for a whole yeah, I guess I'm gonna get holy for cancel. I'm gonna jump in right here. <laughs> 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 I'm just gonna ask that you just extend a little bit of grace. Yeah, there's grace to be extended. A little bit of grace. Just there's grace to be extended. There is there is a thing about the black British identity that it was it has they they had to fight for mm. the black British identity. Mm-hmm. Fight. And so now it's like a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And within those identities, because one of the, the things that are weaponized here is go back to where you came from. Mm. A lot mm. of the black British people don't have that go back to where you're coming, where you came from place. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have to claim that Caribbean, mm-hmm. St. Lucia, right. mm-hmm. and and all of those places. Now, the, within that, there, it's, it's still more nuanced. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, that's where people find comfort in their identity and a foundation within their identities. Right. And, but I have, when I just came here and I... It, I was like you, where I'm like, I just, it doesn't make sense. Please forgive me if this person ever listens to this podcast. But there was this young man who was like, I was christened in Ocho Rios, and that's what makes me Jamaican. And I was like, say what now? <laughs> nobody in Jamaica knows where they were christened because it's not a big deal. Like it's, But to him, it was a very important part of his identity to be right. claim Jamaican. Um, so thank you for that, for for reeling me in. It still itch me, and I think it's just in the articulation. I don't want to attack anybody's identity, but it's just in the articulation. And again, I do not like being caricaturized. That is one thing. Like mm-hmm. that, it, I don't like it. I don't like to become a caricature. Now I'm 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 able to find space within myself that the the Jamaican identities that exist in Jamaica. So you have Uptown Jamaicans, you have mm-hmm. Upper mm-hmm. Jamaican, you have Clarendon Jamaicans, you have Jamaicans who live in Portmore versus Jamaicans who live in Raytown. And you have all those different kinds of Jamaican identities. I say, and in the same way that some of us don't like Upper St. Andrew Jamaicans, some of us yeah, don't yeah. like Raytown Jamaicans, that in the same way within the diaspora, you have British Jamaicans, you have Brooklyn-based Jamaicans, and I feel like it needs to exist. All of that needs to exist. I want to jump in on that because because my parents met at Howard, I was actually born in Silver Spring, where I live. Thank you. Okay, girl, I didn't go. But um, the thing is, I think it would be so ridiculous for me to consider that I can... I can trace my ancestry in Jamaica back to when the Surge Island family came and established that plantation Mm. and we were working on it. That's how far back. It's just the case. It's the facts. I am Jamaican. 
I'm just thinking about um, that group of people who went to Howard together from the Caribbean. A lot of them stayed um, in the United States. My parents were like, nah, we're going home. But if, if, if my parents had stayed, then I would have lived my whole entire life in Silver Spring. Would that have canceled out that I am as Jamaican as I am in this moment? Absolutely yes. not. And I find I think that, it would. But I because you would have been you'd have been raised, you'd have been off Silver Spring. No, it doesn't cancel your history, it doesn't cancel your knowledge, it doesn't cancel your connection. No, I absolutely am with you 100 percent there. It wouldn't cancel that I am Jamaican. That's what it wouldn't cancel out because it's a, it's a part of what I am. The way that it would present, absolutely, it would be different. I would be in a different place and I would just be a different person from that place. But I would still be Jamaican. And something I really struggle with in this, in this country is that once you come here, it's like you have to make this grand exchange to your earlier point about the control of America. Mm. You have to make this exchange. Now that you came here, okay, you had your kids here, they are American. They are African-American. Absolutely not. And they will never be. They will never be that because it will always have come from this body and this body is Jamaica. So there has to be room for that. You might not have put it on the census. You may not like it. You may not, whatever you feel about it, it doesn't change the reality of it. And I think that that creates this like, subjective condition where other you 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 feel so badly about other people just being honest about who they are like you because you're not sure about where you are in that and so you start visiting that upon other people i'm not sure who i am i have to just be american so you have to just be american and it doesn't like change the material conditions of reality i am still jamaican my kids will still be jamaican even if they grow up here their entire lives and I, the reason why I agreed with you, or I was saying to you, Leanne, like, it is different. You being Jamaican, who grew up and went to your high school in Jamaica and then coming, you know, to, the, the, to Britain afterwards. That's different. It is different that you lived in that place and then moved to another place. Like, we don't have to live in this whole, like, real fake world where we're pretending that those two things are not different. They are different, but it doesn't mean that the person who is British and black in Britain and whose family line is Jamaican, that they have no connection to that. That's just, mm -hmm. I can't connect that. And my issue is why does it need to be reduced? to being only the two categories. Like you either are 100% Jamaica because you grew up in Jamaica, you're from Jamaica, you live in, you die in Jamaica, or you're 100% not. And those categories are an imposition that do not serve us. And so I think that's where I jump in on this conversation as someone who was born here, but is some, somehow not enough American to be able to disagree with Americans. Because when I disagree with them, then I'm too Jamaican. But then if I'm around Jamaican, you think, oh, you were in Jamaica, but now you've been away too long. So no, we have to cancel it. It's like, look, y'all, give me a break. I can't even keep up. If we're allowing ourselves to be multifaceted women who operate in many with many identities and allow interchanging of those identities at various places and times and circumstances of our lives then i think we need to allow for the nuance of 
of Jamaican or British born Jamaicans who are applying for their Jamaican passports, who make it a point to let their children and their cousins and their siblings know what they know about Jamaica and who make a vested interest to learn as much as they can to maintain that connection that is that they've gained through their ancestry. So I think if we're going to allow for nuance, we have to allow it across the board. Agreed. I I completely agree. Which I think is something that societally people or systems try to avoid. They try to avoid nuance, which is why this, you know, the terms like BAME or saying things like even saying things like Afro-American is is so problematic or uncomfortable for so many people because you just want to be American. I think it was Raven Simone that was like, I'm not African-American, I'm just American, which is crazy to me. We all go around and we ask the world to understand my personal perspective of being a Black woman Mm. or being an immigrant woman. Doesn't make me not a woman. But I'm a woman with a very specific, unique Mm -hmm. experience that sometimes need to be considered. Um, I have a I have a final thought. It's not actually it's actually going back to going back to subjective transmigration. Mm -hmm. That was a really poignant description for me. I felt so seen. Because mm. I have been extremely transient. I think I've moved over 20 times since like 2012. Mm. Like, and I think I'm an expert at like what makes things home. Mm. You know, like even in Jamaica, like I came, I stayed in Portmore and I stayed on Lord's Road. And now like I'm, you know, um, by the, gun, the gun, gunman Abbey Court. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's so interesting. And I think, I don't know, it just, I just... I'm, I'm so happy that you brought it up and I'm so happy to learn more about the concept of subjective transmigration because there is, I think after having moved so many times and again, navigating from Brazil to like, no, I'm in Lagos. There are literally things I did when I came here to make me feel at home. I, I brought corned beef. I mm-hmm. brought cock soup. Mm-hmm. I brought like, I brought these things, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and they're also, they're things even, they're ritualistic things that we carry with us. You know, you have now had it down to a theory wow that's that's actually my subjective transmigrational pattern of Mm. what are the things that will always equip me no matter where i go so Mm. no matter across the board what will i know will make me comfortable and is is a stabilizing force in my existence and my identity yeah i I, I really appreciate that keeps and I, i i center black women from the caribbean in all of my writing, all of my research. And that's where I, I was kind of coming from in cobbling that that theory together. So that's so exciting to me that it feels it feels right to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even uh, to Nikeba's point, I definitely feel the same way as someone who is currently navigating how to identify home and mm-hmm. trying to create a space for myself where I can feel comfortable saying that home is both places and creating Mm -hmm. or curating a life for myself that operates Mm -hmm. in both places without feeling like I'm a Jamaican sellout Mm -hmm. for for wanting to have part of my life in in the UK you know England nice girl don't make them don't make them dry out England very nice 
but I mean, both places have its pros and cons, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. you go is going to have its mm-hmm. pros and cons. And so identifying what home feels like and looks like outside of the geographical space is mm-hmm. actually real. It's comforting to know that Nikeba has been able to do it. And mm-hmm. it's comforting to know that that, the, that lived experience is something that is formulated into a theory that holds true across mm-hmm. people for the diaspora. Mm-hmm. So I think if that's how we leave the conversation, then I'm really happy, and I hope everybody listening has found some sort of solace in knowing that, regardless of where they are, how they identify is really up to them. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Don't forget to listen and share and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. On Twitter and Facebook, we are Dope Black Women. On Instagram, we are Dope Black Women One. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blackity black. Black tactics. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.